sometimes we all need to step back and reprioritize our lives, weighing what and who matter most, and then how we align our lives with those priorities. I had a tough-as-nails basketball coach in junior high school, and uh, he led us to, to win a lot of games. And yet I also had other interests and actually became obsessed with guitar right about the time that we were in the middle of, I think, our second season, my middle year of junior high. And in high school, I came back to him, uh, came back to the campus and visited Coach Rice, and he said, ah, the basketball player who gave up basketball to become a rock star. Uh, he thought my priorities needed to be straightened out. <laughs> you see, we all look at these things and we wonder, what matters most in life? Well, this passage reorders our priorities and ignites our main passions. It helps us to pursue God and the people that He has made to help us see who and what matters most and to live accordingly. We're told that one of the scribes, that is a scholar of the Bible's laws, verse 28, he saw that Jesus was answering the Sadducees, or certain theologians, well. And so he asked Jesus to speak into a common debate. Which is the most important commandment? Which is the greatest commandment? Which priority should be the highest? These scribes basically boiled down the laws of the Old Testament to only 613. <laughs> and they wanted to know which one was high. How could you encapsulate uh, all the others in one priority? Well, Jesus boils it all down to the guiding core principle of love. Now, this doesn't exclude the other aspects in the law, but it frames them and summarizes them. And what Jesus does here is he answers by brilliantly linking, not, not just giving one commandment, but linking two. We're to have wholehearted devotion to God and also to show utmost kindness to others. You see, love is the fundamental disposition of, of who we are as human beings made in God's image. To love and to be loved is what makes us human. Imagine a world in which we love the one true God with every fiber of our being. Then worship would be here all the time like it's going to be in heaven. Imagine that we completely loved not only our loved ones, but people we find hard to like. The other people that we don't relate to. What would that be like? Well, relationships here would be like they're going to be in heaven. Conversely, if you drill down all of the problems that we have in this world, from a slap at the Academy Awards to a, to a joke that didn't take into account a medical struggle of another human being, to the arguments we sometimes have in our homes, to the tensions between in-laws or the awkwardness between neighbors or the distance that we sometimes experience between other Christians and even church members. All of these things can be chalked up to a failure to love. And so Jesus brings us to these two greatest commandments and he links them together 
in a brilliant way. We're going to look at simply the commands, loving God with all that we are, loving our neighbor as ourselves, and then the God who loves us. First, loving God with all that we are. Jesus here quotes what's called the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. This requires of us exclusive, wholehearted allegiance to our Creator. It means that everything that we have and are should be passionately devoted to Him. And the reason for this is that our Lord is one. He is the only true God. And He is worthy of this commitment. Isaiah 45.5 expresses what all of the Scripture says. I am the Lord and there is no other beside me. There is no other God. God is exalted above all that He has made. And yet, friends, He comes near in covenant He bonds Himself to us in a personal way. I was thinking this week that as we we try to tap into our love uh, of things and uh, the created order, we can love our house. Uh, We can love a mountain, maybe a, a certain vista that we really love, or a sunset at the beach, or a certain painting, or all sorts of music. And God is ultimately the author of these things. And through them, we can have glimpses of what it means to love the the author of all. And yet, God never really identifies himself with these images, does he? But in Scripture, he identifies himself, he conveys himself as our Father, our King, our Heavenly Spouse, our dearest friend. You see, God is personal. He wants to be personally known. We love Him who is personal. And we love Him because He's supremely lovely. He is the uninvented absolute, if you will. And so Jesus, again, taps into the Shema, Hero Israel, and He says that our love is to be total. God calls us to love Him with our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. All of you is to be dedicated to Him. Now the Hebrew word for heart, it's not just our feelings, though it includes that, but it's it's really more central. It is the command and control center of who we are. It It is what directs our lives. And we can begin here by talking about loving God, not just with that portion of who we are, but our minds. And this means that we we learn to enjoy theology, we learn to enjoy the Scripture, not as something that is separate from loving God, but as a way to know Him as He discloses Himself, like a beloved discloses Him or herself in a love letter. We can think about the aha of solving a scientific equation or a math problem or wordle. (laughs) And you have that, that clicking, that satisfaction. Well, at a far more profound level, God is not a puzzle, but he is the person to know, to think about. 
to learn about as he has shown himself. We are to think his thoughts after him and to love him by thinking about him. And yet we are not just what's been called brains on a stick. We are to have a a great affection and passion for God. Marshalling all of the forces, if you will, within us to love Him. It means that, that as we learn to love God, friends, we're not plugging our noses and just doing what we think you know, we're supposed to do. But it's duty coupled with delight. There was, a, I think, an unintentionally funny, at least to me, headline in the Wall Street Journal, I think, well, two weeks ago, and it was about the Academy Awards and, and different ways that they rank, you know, not just for the awards themselves, but, but different polls that they were taking. And one struck, I actually thought this was pretty funny. The movie The Power of the Dog ranked really high. I haven't seen that uh, after reading this. I probably won't. Um, it reported, that movie reported in all the polls that they took, the biggest gap between perceived quality and actual enjoyment. <laughs> so, so what that means is, you know, you step back and you think, well, I, I assume it's made well, it's good acting and all that, but it's no fun to watch. Well, God doesn't want to be that way to us. <laughs> he is not a bitter pill that we think, I've got to take this and force it down. Now, there are times that we have to go through the discipline of reading the scripture and praying and all of these things that we do to help ourselves marshal our forces to love God more, but we're supposed to enjoy it. You see, God is of infinitely high quality, but he's also so delightful. The Bible doesn't say take this bitter pill. It says taste and see that the Lord is good, that he's lovely. And so it means all of this, that we have to do this, but even more, that we get to do this. And so Jesus, again, echoing the Shema, says that we are to worship our God with focus and affection. It means we say, bless the Lord, O my soul. Again, we are marshalling our forces and all that is within me, bless his holy name. We think about Him and we learn to feel about Him. If we don't want Him, we pray that we would want to want Him. And this means that we do this not only in worship, but certainly here in worship. It means that we grow in our passion as we sing to Him. We make a joyful noise unto the Lord, not a murmuring noise. Just this week, I came across a a six-year-old Babylon Bee headline uh, that that had me laughing out loud. It said, and it showed a very traditional church building, and it it said, motion-activated lights turned off during Presbyterian worship. (laughs) May that not define us, all right? (laughs) I thought, Lord, let that not be our congregation. Our love is wholehearted whole-bodied. We are devoted, but affectionately so. And of course, this entails not simply our passion and our singing, though that, but it also uh, 
includes our doing. Jesus applies this Shema, Shema to himself. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now that alone is quite a, a claim. And so love does, love does what Jesus says to do. And so friends, there's a great diagnostic question here as we move to the next theme. Are we loving God all the time with all that we are? Do we think about Him and feel for Him? Are we aiming to worship Him, not because we simply perceive that He's high quality, but we're not going to enjoy it, but are we learning to enjoy Him and asking Him to help us to do so? That is our highest calling. There is no greater priority. And yet, Jesus brilliantly links that to the second command, which is so important. Verse 31, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, Jesus here is quoting Leviticus 19, 18, and he's talking, the Bible is talking about optimal maximum kindness, attentiveness to others. It means that we relate and we share and we speak and we listen in ways that would bless other people as we would want them to do to us. Now, it's very easy, I think, for us to say, like the person in Luke did, well, who is my neighbor? <laughs> well, our neighbor is not an abstraction. We don't want to say like Linus and Charlie Brown, I love humanity, I just can't stand certain people. Or maybe it was Charlie Brown himself. This is not an abstract thing. But it's loving people on the road of our lives. People who are around us. Now it's quite providential that as I was working on this this week, um, actually yesterday at home and was finishing up, um, it, it was interesting because my wife had offered... Uh, I will say our property, I'm just going to be general about this, is a kind of temporary place for storage for, for someone in our neighborhood. Uh, and I think as part of that, it was perceived as, well, maybe if we are given an inch, we'll take a mile. So um, sort of we were, stuff was, people were coming onto our property, not necessarily asking and just kind of showing up and and we had to communicate, hey, we, we'd love to share and, and, you know, just let us know, send a text. Um, my daughter said it's a good thing we're not in Texas and they did that and just kind of walked in. <laughs> uh, but as part of our sharing, we had to set up some boundaries and some expectations. But it, we were feeling a little encroached on, to be really candid with you. It might have technically been called trespassing, like not really asking first. And I said to Liz, I can't believe I am preaching on love your neighbor. <laughs> this is not abstract. I've got to figure this out like today. <laughs> I've got to open up my life and offer and be helpful and yet say, hey, there are some clear expectations here. That's part of what loving means. It means we show real kindness and care in ways that help people. Rosario Butterfield wrote in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. What a great title that is. Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. In other words, 
to convey the gospel in word, it is going to have so much more impact in this post-Christian world when we show it with our deeds, especially in opening up our lives and homes. And she says, our post-Christian neighbors need to hear, see, and taste and feel authentic Christianity. Hospitality spreading from every Christian home that includes neighbors in prayer and food and friendship and child care and dog walking and all the daily matters upon which friendships are built. And yeah, sharing your car, sharing your backyard, your side yard, even as you convey what that looks like and expectations. Again, we are to love, not just loving others, but Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, some have turned this into, interestingly, like a third command. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. It's more of an assumption, a baseline, that we're going to be committed to ourselves, that we're already oriented to who we are, And so Jesus puts it differently in Matthew 7, 18, but it's the same principle. So in everything due to others, what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. It's what's called the golden rule. And again, as we think about this, there are very practical ways that we can do this. And I think one of the most important uh, is to simply learn to listen. Because we all want to be listened to. I think you've probably all been in in relationships or interactions where it sort of dawns on you, like, (laughs) I'm sort of doing all the listening. They, They don't really ever ask, never been a question directed this way. And so that helps us understand, well, we need to not relate that way to others. We all want to be listened to. And so we learn to listen. We ask about other people's stories. We don't simply constantly tell our own stories and talk about our own interests, though there's a place for that. And that's part of connecting and relating. But we're attuned to what they're saying. We pause to dial in and figure out the narratives of their lives, of each other's lives. To this end, I know a Christian who prays on the way to work, Lord, use me to minister to people today, to be attuned to where people are, to see what people's hurts are, and to meet those needs. It's a good thing to pray, and not just to obsess about our own concerns as we're driving or walking to work, or just walking down the hallway to work. You see, this also means that we get to know people, that we ask them questions, that that we find out what their unmet needs are. And again, these can be practical ways of showing love, bringing in trash cans, buying a cup of coffee or lunch, or writing somebody a card or sending a text or bringing flowers or offering, offering to pick up groceries, carry somebody's suitcase, even hold the door for someone, which isn't always um, appreciated in this culture. We do what seems best for people because they are made in God's image. Thomas Akempis said, whoever loves much does much. And yet, I think one of the reasons, friends, we don't do this is sometimes we're just too busy 
and distracted and preoccupied with ourselves. Well, Jesus says, love others as you love yourself. You know, I have to admit, some of the most convicting things I've seen this week were simply two very brief memes. And they actually did hit me. Turn off the news and love thy neighbor. Because I can get very caught up in the news. I read a lot about culture, that's a good thing, but turn off the news and love the people around you. But here's one that's even better. Love thy neighbor as thy cell phone. <laughs> Don't watch me after church to see if I'm checking. Lord, help me <laughs> to love others as I love my cell phone. Jesus says, there is no greater commandment than these, no greater priority that God has for you. In fact, Jesus says, actually Paul says in Romans 13, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery or murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, they can all be summed up in the word love your neighbor as yourself. So love God and love others. Well, in verse 32, this teacher of the law seems to be tracking. He is. He says, you are right. It's beautifully said, teacher, the way you've put these together. As one paraphrase puts it in his words, so clear and cut that God is one and there is no other, and loving Him with all passion and intelligence and energy and loving others as we love ourselves, that's better than all offering and sacrifices put together. Jesus says, yeah, you've got it. and You're not far off from the kingdom. He's getting close. He's getting close. Well, that brings us to the God who loves us. And the question that we should be asking, why does Jesus say he's getting close? Well, consider this, if we have no greater priority than loving God and loving neighbor, the twin commands that are really linked as one, two parts of love, then sin at its very core is failing to love God with all that we are and failing to love others with utmost kindness and other-centered concern. You see, friends, we need Jesus not simply as the best teacher ever, and that's true of this man that was standing there talking to him, but we need him who tells us to love God and to love others. We need him to die for us because we don't. And so you know why this man was close to the kingdom? Because the Son of God was getting close to the cross close to bringing him into the kingdom, close to that greatest act of love. He rode into Jerusalem to show us and the world what loving God entirely and loving others like we love ourselves, he did that to show us what it looks like. He became the supreme example and supreme sacrifice because we falter so often in love. You see, Jesus is the Shema, hero Israel. He is the Shema embodied. Jesus is the golden rule 
Love others as you love yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He is that golden rule enacted. Friends, Jesus loves you, but he also loves on your behalf, which means that his love is counted for you or as yours in place of your lovelessness. And therefore, if you trust him, it means he has ushered you in. You are not only close, but you are within the kingdom of God. And he had to do this because he knew how hard it would sometimes be to love our family members, to love our enemies, and sometimes it can feel like the same people. Let's be honest. You see, that's why God, back in Deuteronomy, gave not only a command, but a promise. You see, he said to Israel, Israel, love me with all that you are. And then later in Deuteronomy 10, he says, circumcise your hearts, in essence, renew your hearts, so that you can love me with all that you are. But he saw that Israel and humanity would fail. So later in Deuteronomy 36, he said, here's a promise, not just a command that he reiterated in chapter 10, but a promise of the future. The Lord God will circumcise your heart. In other words, the Lord will renew your heart so that you will love God with all that you are and can do so, so that you can love your neighbor as yourself even when you don't feel like it, so that you can learn to be like Jesus who said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. You see, Jesus was to use the language of Deuteronomy 30, he was circumcised on the cross so that our hearts would be circumcised, so that we would be made new to carry out these commands, albeit imperfectly, which is why we needed his sacrifice and still need it today. But he calls us in newness to carry it out. You see, God was the unobligated giver he marshaled all of his forces, if you will, to love us, to love us when we were his enemies, to make us his friends, to forgive us, and to fill us with his spirit who writes this law on our hearts. One writer has said that grace is God's aggressive pursuit of and stubborn delight in freakishly foul people. <laughs> it's a little colorful. It simply means people who are loved and yet so often forget to love and don't know how or won't. But as someone else has said, the loved well, love well. Friends, you have been loved well. And so love well. God has written His law on your hearts if you are in Christ. And He's given you His Spirit to love Him and to love others. And as you do this, know what Romans 13 says. Owe no one anything except to love them. To love each other. For the one who loves God and neighbor has fulfilled the law.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us in Christ. That you loved us so and love us so wholeheartedly, so sacrificially that you marshaled all of your affections and intentions not only to create us but to redeem us to send your son to come and be not only the supreme example but the supreme and only sacrifice we thank you that jesus loved you with all that he is and loved his neighbors he loved us even when we were his enemies thus making us your friends his friends God, we thank you that he loved on our behalf and that his love is counted in place of our lovelessness. And that by your spirit, you have cut away the deadness of our hearts, the parts of us that, that refuse to love if we're not loved by others or if we don't get what we want or if we don't like so-and-so. You've made us new. You fulfilled the promise of the old covenant by writing your law on our, on our hearts, by uniting us to the lover, Jesus Christ. And so, God, we pray that we would be conformed to him, that we would love you with all that we are, that we would love our neighbors, and that we would do so today and this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.